Welcome to Your Torah, a 36-week journey into the world of the 63 books of the Mishnah, 18 minutes at a time. A project of Jofa UK, designed as a special invitation to engage in Torah and make it yours. This episode of Your Torah is dedicated by Tirza Meacham, in memory of Rivka Horwitz, a woman who wanted to study Talmud but wasn't allowed. She worked in Jewish thought, but encouraged Tirza to study Talmud. Hello, my name is Tirza Meacham. I teach Talmudic and Rabbinic literature at the University of Toronto. I think the Mishnah is the starting point for understanding Jewish law, and with that, the status of women in Judaism. Today, we will be dealing with Tractate Kiddushin, the last tractate of Seder Nashim, the order of women. The place of a tractate within the order has to do with its length. Tractate Kiddushin has only four chapters. Kiddushin means sanctification. It actually refers to the first of the two stages of marriage, Kiddushin, betrothal, sometimes called Erusin, which in the time of the Mishnah preceded the actual marriage, called Nisuin. A betrothed virgin was given up to a year or more to prepare her trousseau while she still lived with her natal family. From the time a woman is betrothed, mikudeshet, she is bound by the laws of adultery. The difference between betrothal and marriage is that the couple does not live together. This is unlike our custom today, where the marriage ceremony actually combines kiddushin with nisuim. Let us begin with an overview of tractate Kiddushin. The first chapter does not use the term Kiddushin, or the verb Kiddesh or Mikadesh from the root Kufdalad Shin, but rather uses the root Kufnun He, Kana, or the passive feminine form Niknet, which means to buy, acquire, or purchase, or in the passive, to be acquired or purchased. Some consider this term an earlier term, which developed into Kiddushin, with the active verb mikadesh sanctifies for males, and the passive verb mikudeshet is sanctified for females. Others hold that kana and niknet are the later development because of the legal significance they hold. The structure of the first chapter concerns the acquisition of a woman, or Leverite wife, yivama, This is a woman whose husband died without offspring and who must marry or be released by his paternal brother. It also gives the modes of release from such an acquisition. A minimum price to acquire a woman is set. We shall return to the details of the Mishnah after the overview of the entire tractate. The following Mishnayot concern the acquisition of a Hebrew slave or Hebrew maidservant and the modes of their release the acquisition of a Canaanite slave and the mode of release, the acquisition of large and small domestic animals, the acquisition of movables, and acquisition by chilufim, barter or exchange. As we see, actual purchase or acquisition is the main focus of the first six Mishnayot. This is followed by a Mishnah which is extremely important for the status of Jewish women, that is, obligation in mitzvot. We shall return to this Mishnah later. The rest of the first chapter deals with actions in the temple done by males and not by females, mitzvot, which are dependent on the land of Israel, and the reward for performance of mitzvot. Chapter 2, the language changes to kiddushin. It deals with appointing an agent to execute or accept kiddushin on one's behalf. 
it establishes in which situations Kiddushin is valid, that at least the value of a pruta must be given to the woman and accepted, that the language is exact, the necessity of meeting the conditions mentioned in the offer of Kiddushin, and that the Kiddushin of a minor male is not valid. Kiddushin is not valid if the parties are related in such a way that sexual relations would be considered incestuous or adulterous. The chapter ends with items which may or may not be used for Kiddushin. Chapter 3 deals with various kinds of conditions used in the formula to offer Kiddushin. The man is not allowed to mislead or misrepresent himself to the woman as to his status, wealth, or location. If he does make a condition and fulfills it, the condition is valid. This chapter also deals with a man who betroths his minor daughter. It was the right of a father to marry off his minor daughter, according to biblical law. This chapter deals with situations where the father has forgotten to which man he betrothed his daughter, or which of his daughters he betrothed. It also deals with the repercussions when there are contradicting claims between the man and the woman, a case where one claims that they were betrothed and the other denies it. The chapter ends with the status of the child. The fourth and final chapter of our tractate deals with the ten categories of people who returned to the land of Israel from Babylon. Categorization of such precision and detail reflects a complex and highly stratified society. This chapter discusses which categories among the ten can intermarry and yield kosher Jewish children, and the verification of the status of children born outside Israel. The tractate then turns to appropriate actions. A man cannot be alone with two women. Single men or single women cannot be teachers of young children. Single males should not be shepherds. And two single males should not be under one blanket. A father should teach his son a clean and modest profession, which does not require him to be around women. Torah study protects Jews from unseemly actions. We shall now return to the first Mishnah in the tractate. Ha'isha nikneit b'shalosh drachim, v'kona et atzma drachim. The woman is acquired in three ways, and she acquires herself in two ways. Nikneit b'chesef b'shtar uvavi'ah. She is acquired by money, by document, and by sexual intercourse. The money must be accompanied by a declaration of kiddushin. Behold, you are acquired, sanctified to me by this money. Today, the wedding ring normally serves as the mode of acquisition. If the acquisition is by document, it must state that the document is for the sake of Kiddushin. Similarly, if the acquisition is through sexual relations, that must be stated. Beit Shammai Omrim b'dinar uvashaved dinar. Beit Shammai says, with a dinar or its equivalent. Uveit Hillel Omrim bifruta uvashaved fruta. Beit Hillel says, with a pruta, or its equivalent, vechamahi pruta, achad mishmona b'isar italki. And how much is a pruta? One-eighth of an Italian isar. The amount of money necessary to acquire a woman is in dispute. Beit Shammai requires the value of a silver dinar, while Beit Hillel requires the value of only the smallest copper coin, there are 192 of these copper coins in a silver dinar. Beit Hillel's position became law and facilitated marriage 
even for poverty-stricken people. Vikona et atzma baget uvamitatabal. And she acquires herself by a get, a writ of divorce, or by the death of the husband. The wife is unable to divorce her husband. The unilateral acquisition, kinyan, of the woman by the man is what sets up the problem of chained women, agunot, but more properly, misuravot get, women who are denied a writ of divorce by recalcitrant husbands. Since there are about 10,000 women in Israel today who are unable to remarry because their husbands have refused to divorce them Jewishly, and at least a similar number in the state of New York, and scores of thousands of women throughout the world, this is one of the most significant problems in Jewish law. This is why many organizations and synagogues and rabbis encourage couples to have a prenuptial agreement, which addresses potential marriage breakdown and encourages the man in a variety of ways to provide a get. Marriage by contract, which does not include kinyan, acquisition, has been put forth as a solution as well. Hayevama niknet bevi'ah, vikona etatma b'chalitza uvamitat hayavam. The Yevama, the widow of a childless man, is acquired through sexual relations, and she acquires herself by chalitza, removal of the shoe, and by the death of the Yavam. The Yavam is the paternal brother of the deceased, that is, the brother-in-law of the widow. This is based on Deuteronomy 25, 5-10. In order to preserve the line of the deceased, his paternal brother marries the widow, and the child produced from that relationship is attributed to the deceased line and receives his inheritance. No actual marriage is necessary because once a woman marries and becomes a widow, she is not free to marry outside the family if her husband was childless and he had paternal brothers, unless she has been released by one of the brothers in the Halitza ceremony. She is, if you wish, a sort of second-hand wife. There are many rabbinic modifications to these laws, including the creation of a quasi-marriage agreement called ma'amar, which functioned as a claim on the woman. Actual Leverite marriage was only accomplished through sexual relations. The bottom line is that the woman must either cohabit with her brother-in-law, whereby she becomes his wife, or be released by him through chalitza. The institution of leverate marriage was already problematic in Talmudic times. Various solutions were given to avoid such a union, among them trickery and paying off the brother-in-law, that is, bribery. A widow who has not been released by chalitza cannot be married by an Orthodox rabbi. Her children, though, if she does marry, are nevertheless considered kosher Jews. Neither the Yevama nor the wife has the power to acquire themselves, that is, divorce themselves, despite the way the Mishnah is formulated. I would like to look more carefully at one other Mishnah in chapter 1. This deals with the obligation in mitzvot and has been the subject of much feminist discourse. Kol mitzvot haben al ha'av anashim chayavim v'nashim pturot. Every commandment of the son on the father. Men are obligated, but women are exempt. These include such things as circumcision, redemption, 
teaching him Torah, marrying him off, and teaching him a profession. Since women themselves are not obligated in any of these commandments, they are exempt from the obligation of performing them for their sons. But every commandment of a father on a child are obligatory for both men and women. These include respect, such as not sitting in the parent's place or not contradicting the parent, and honor, such as helping the parent dress or serving food, and they apply to both parents. In the first section, I translated the Hebrew word ben as son because several of the commandments are specifically for males. In this clause of the Mishnah, I have translated it as child. Nearly all occurrences of the word ben in the Bible mean child, unless they are a specifically male context. V'chol mitzvat aseh she'hazman gorama anashim chayavim v'nashim p'turot. And all of the positive commandments, which are time-bound, men are obligated and women are exempt. V'chol mitzvat aseh shelo hazman gorama echad anashim v'echad nashim chayavim. But all of the positive commandments, which are not time-bound, both men and women are obligated. Time-bound positive commandments are those which have to be done at a specific time and include tefillin, phylacteries, hearing the shofar, the ram's horn on Rosh Hashanah, and sitting in the sukkah and waving the lulav. Many of these are publicly performed. This left women out of the public eye and was in accordance with the sages' ideas about women's modesty. Non-time-bound mitzvot are actions like giving charity and returning a lost article, which do not have to be performed at a specific time. The reason given in the Talmud for the exemption of women is that they must answer to others for their time. For instance, being available to do as their husbands request or taking care of children. Bavli Kiddushin 34a holds that women are exempt from phylacteries, tefillin. In examining the occurrence of tefillin, teaching Torah, and mezuzah, which occur in the first two paragraphs of the Shema, the prayer which is said morning and evening, the rabbis chose to learn the obligation of tefillin from the obligation of studying Torah. Since women are exempt from studying Torah, they are also exempt from tefillin. They could, however, have chosen to learn the obligation from mezuzah, for which all agree that women are obligated. Because tefillin are juxtaposed to Torah study in both the first and second paragraphs of the Shema, the sages preferred their derivation. Overall, this is a very weak reason to exempt women from positive time-bound commandments. It is likely that this is simply an after-the-fact justification because women had to be available for other duties. This has ramifications because someone who is not obligated at the same level as another person cannot exempt that person from their obligation. For example, since a woman does not have the same obligation in prayer, she cannot be the prayer leader for the congregation in certain prayers which require a minion, the quorum of ten males of the age of mitzvot, and she cannot count in the quorum of ten. This has been a particularly problematic situation for feminists. Equal access to the performance of positive time-bound commandments was the emphasis of second-wave Jewish feminism. The whole mitzvah lotase, 
בין שהזמן גרמה, בין שלא הזמן גרמה, אחד אנשים ואחד נשים חייבים, חוץ מבל תשחית ומבל תקיף ובל תטמא למתים. And all negative mitzvot, that is, prohibitions, whether time-bound or not, both men and women are obligated, except for destroying the beard, cutting off the corners of the beard, the peyot, or becoming impure due to corpse impurity. The exemptions for women have to do with male and female differences concerning facial hair and the fact that only male priests are prohibited from incurring corpse impurity. Tractate Kiddushin is central to the status of women in Judaism. Traditional egalitarian congregations count women in prayer quorums, and women serve as prayer leaders, put on tefillin and prayer shawls, read from the Torah, and give divrei Torah. Partnership minions require both 10 men and 10 women before parts of the service can be done, but still have restrictions on which parts of the service women can lead. Ongoing study of the tractate Kiddushin has been a source of major change in the Jewish community. Thank you for listening. This episode of Your Torah is brought to you by Jofa UK, in collaboration with women from around the world who all share a passion for Torah study. If you are enjoying Your Torah, consider sponsoring an episode. Find out more by visiting ukjova.org. Join the conversation on social media using the hashtag YourTorah.